bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this week is a little bit different. As I, If you listened last week, I gave you a little warning. This week is a little bit different. I am so excited. I'm wanting to get more episodes like this to help inspire us and ignite us to create a better world. Now, obviously, you know, I think going vegan is a great step because it's so easy for all of us to do. You know, anywhere you are, there's rice potatoes and broccoli. Pretty much everywhere you go, there's sweet potato, potato and rice. And we can all eat that and we can save the animals and save the forests and the waterways and the oceans. And it's just such a kind, nice thing to do for your mind, body and spirit and for the planet and the animals. So being vegan is super simple and it's a simple step for everyone and sometimes it can feel like that is impossible and anything extra when we're in the you know our when we feel heavy and we're listening to the bushfires and we're listening to the heaviness of the you know US government elections and we're listening to our own government and struggling to understand our treatment of, you know, refugees and there's so many wars everywhere going on and fracking and there's water pollution and so many issues that feel so overwhelming. And I am definitely someone who can get, you know, especially when we have the access to all the world's information pretty much in our eyeballs before we've even taken a step out of our beds. It's just in our feeds every moment of the day when we click off our work or click away from our families, there's everything we've ever needed to know about every country on the planet. And normally it's very terrifying and desperate. But today's guest, Nikki Me, I met, I'm not going to tell you, but I met her a few years ago. We talk about it in the interview, so I don't want to give too much away. And we connected, I found out we met at a conference, a podcasting conference, I found out she was vegan and I was immediately, well, I think that's what happened. We were looking for lunch and we're thinking we don't know the area in Brisbane where the conference was. Where are we going to go for lunch? And we ended up finding somewhere together and eating lunch. And the rest is history. We formed a, well, she lives in Brisbane. I live here and she works in Cambodia. But I <laughs> I became her number one fan and follow her on, I've been following her avidly on Facebook for since then, so nearly three years. And when we met, there was only one episode of this podcast in existence. And we were just new to everything, but she had been doing her work for a little while, well, for a while. And we sat at lunch and she just told me her story and it gave me goosebumps. And I don't want to tell you, but I want you to know that you have to keep listening because it's so good. Nikki is the co-founder of an organisation called Free to Shine, which is focused on ending sex slavery over in Cambodia. Now, I know that this is like an intense topic, so I appreciate that it is very sensitive. And if you are someone who has experienced sexual violence of any kind or violence or abuse or rape or any of those things, this episode may be a little hard going. I will put some links for some support services in the show notes because I don't want to leave you bringing up these really triggering topics without putting some services. But I don't know all the services for all the countries that you are in, but please access, if you have social workers or counsellors or access to free support services where you are and you are feeling overwhelmed by the subject content of this episode, please check them out. But I'll put links to the ones in Australia that I know about. I said Australia, very Australian. Um, yeah, I'm just going to add those support services in the show notes for anyone who may need them. This episode, it is mostly really, really, really positive and uplifting. Nikki has written a book and we'll be talking about her book, which is coming, which is already out. 
Her book is out and it is called Do What Matters. I haven't read it as of the recording of this show, but it's going to be fantastic. And it's about all the work that she's done helping support young girls uh, over in Cambodia. And she's been doing this work for 10 years. She's done incredible, incredible work. And her story of how she came to get involved in ending sex slavery over in Cambodia is a story that is just going to touch your heart because Nikki was just like you and I, you know, someone who saw a problem and has spent the last 10 years committed to solving that problem, which is truly inspirational. Her episode, she gives us so much, we talked so much about the work that she's done, how she has gone about doing this. It's such an epic mission to end sex slavery in a foreign country that you're unfamiliar with. And she has done it so beautifully and openly and really witnessing and seeing and working with, collaborating with the people of Cambodia rather than going in and enforcing her own structure and system. She's done such a beautiful job of listening to them, employing Cambodian staff, getting the staff to work with the young girls um, in a way that's respectful to their culture and honouring of their cultural practices and factors that impact on them taking steps forward or to healing or to overcoming so much historical disempowerment and trauma. So this episode just gives me goosebumps. I felt so honoured to have met this incredibly inspirational person and to share her work with you all. Um, and just she just happens to be a vegan, so I feel like it can tack into this show just purely on that. I'm just tacking it in. But from now on, I'm just going to be doing a lot more interviews with people who have just really inspirational stories and do inspirational work. Now, all the guests on this show have inspirational stories, so it's not a big sidestep to the left, but it's not always going to have to be that they're vegan or whole food plant-based. I would really like to make this podcast about, like there'll still be tons of those stories, don't worry, because it's my definite huge passion, but I want this podcast to be a source of inspiration for times when in, in our global climate it can feel very heavy and difficult and stories like Nikki's need to be heard because Nikki is out there doing the impossible as an ordinary human and everyone listening is an ordinary human who's capable of doing the impossible like Nikki is doing now. And so I want you to leave this episode feeling ignited from within and powerful because you are, you are, and you can do so much more than what you think you can and are capable of. And all of us, even if it's just eating one vegan breakfast tomorrow, you know, you're helping animals by doing that tomorrow. So you're always taking a step in the right direction. It might be if you're just doing, like we listened to Emily Sonsi last week, if you're doing a random act of kindness, if you're touching someone with a loving message or making them a beautiful dinner or you're sending them flowers or you're inviting them over when you know that they're lonely or you're connecting with someone online who's having a hard time or if you see someone getting trolled on social media and you you write a kind thing saying, I'm sending you a hug, this is, you know... This is a challenging (laughs) Facebook thread. Um, That might seem ridiculous, but you know what I mean? Like there are people everywhere that you can touch all the time. If it's be be it animals, be it even plants in your, in your garden, or it can be super simple is what I'm trying to say. Even if it's just you and you just need some love and attention, we can all take positive steps. It doesn't have to be as grand as what Nikki's doing, but if Nikki can do this amazing, incredible thing, The sky's the limit for us all. So all you have to do is connect and ask, ask and ask and ask and ask as many questions as you can until you jump over all the hurdles that Nikki has jumped over and you've faced all the walls and made doors in the walls for yourself to get through. So thank you, Nikki. Please, everyone, head to Free to Shine. Please go to freetoshine.org and dowhatmatters.com.au and freetoshine.org forward slash do what matters to buy the book, free to shine on Facebook and 
You can find Nikki on LinkedIn as well. All of those links will be in the show notes. Please check out this story. It will give you goosebumps. I know it will. And I want to hear from you. And Nikki wants to hear from you. And if you want to donate to Free to Shine, donate to Free to Shine or work with Free to Shine or buy all of the books, all the copies of Do What Matters and give them to all your friends because you never know whose life you're going to change by sharing these stories, sharing stories like Nikki's, gifting people a book like Do What Matters because sometimes we don't know where to begin when we're so overwhelmed by all the heaviness of life. And a book like this can kind of give you that little motivation, that little like, oh, this is a place I can start at. And in the book she talks about, she divides the book into four themes, strength, perspective, joy and community. And in those four themes she kind of guides us in how we can embody those use those four themes to do what matters in our own life. So thank you all for listening and I'll see you at the end of the show. So hello, Nikki, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And I know I've given a little bit of an introduction already uh, about how we met. But yeah, we met back in 2017. We did. Which feels like a blip ago, but now I, when you think about it, you're like, no, that actually is that amount of time has elapsed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> time does that to me. I think some things I think, oh, yeah, that, that wasn't long ago. And other things are like, oh, it's like another lifetime ago. We've crammed so much in in between times. I know. So we met at a podcasting conference in Brisbane and we just happened to, I don't know how I, I, I just somehow managed to us ended up having lunch together but I can't remember how that probably just talking and we were sitting at the same table weren't we so we were sitting together so we we started talking a little bit and you were quite fascinated so you were just like asking me heaps of questions so yeah (laughs) yes I I, look I was I think I was initially like wow oh my god another vegan by accident (laughs) so I was excited like about that like I just seen a unicorn in real life yeah together we'll find lunch (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that's what happened so and on this podcast I literally had put out I think the first only episode for one episodes and so I was there people were talking about their podcast and I felt like a real like just felt humorous because I'd only had one episode (laughs) but but now you're episode 128 of the podcast yeah well done thank you and I Obviously, you are a bit left left of left field for this podcast because we have been sharing whole food plant based recovery stories and interviews with doctors. We've had some a meditation interview before and some neuropsychologist psychology mindset coaching episodes before, but I loved your story so much and I didn't want to share too much in the introduction because I really want them to hear it from you because it really inspired me and it stuck with me all these, you know, since 2000, so nearly three years. So, yeah, just start at the start with your story. (laughs) Where is the start? Where's the the beginning, Nikki? (laughs) I don't know. Um, I think it goes back to reading Um, So it basically goes back to a book and a promise. So I had read many books of women and girls around the world, different women and girls, different countries and different plights that they had been through. And that was from Mukhtar in Pakistan, who was sentenced to a public gang rape as a punishment for a crime that her brother allegedly committed to 10-year-old Nujud in Yemen who went into a courtroom and requested that they help her get divorced. And I read a number of books like this and, of course, I was really sad. I was really angry. I was upset. But at the same time, there was this seed of hope and inspiration and strength in there that kind of attracted me to reading them but one day I walked past my bookcase and they were all like growing across one shelf of the bookcase and I just stopped in my tracks 
And I looked at them and I thought, wow, all of these different books, women, girls, stories, at what point does reading this and learning about it become voyeuristic if I don't actually do anything? Because I hadn't done anything. I'd read them. I'd felt like I wanted to do something. But I never knew what to do. I thought, I'll be killed within a week if I try to go to Pakistan and stop on the killings. Like, what on earth would I do in Yemen trying to stop child marriage? I have no idea what to do. So I'd read these books and put them back on the bookcase. But at the same time, I thought, okay, something's, something's got to change. I can't just keep reading them. I either stop reading them or... And when I, when I said that, I, I couldn't even entertain that because it was like, those women and girls, not only did they live through that horrific thing, they also sat down and wrote a book, which is not an easy thing to do. And they wrote that book. Why? Because they must think that the reader, somebody somewhere, could do something about it. So if I don't do anything about it and I just keep putting it on the bookcase, I'm not doing anything to help them at all. So because I couldn't bring myself to just stop reading them, I said, right, the next book I read, no matter what the issue, what the country, I'm going to do something. So it was just a really simple promise in the moment. And then, as with every other book, I went about my life as usual. And it was probably six months later, I found myself reading another book. And it was about sex trafficking in Cambodia. And to be honest, my first reaction was like, oh, I'm going to be doing something about sex trafficking in Cambodia. Like, oh, my God. And, and it just freaked me out. It just scared me. But... I just thought, well, let's just start at the beginning, just start learning. So I read different books that I, I could to try to understand. And it's interesting that you said, so what I did, because I said I'd do something, I emailed the organization of that author um, five times, say like sending my CV, listing my skills and experience and saying that I'd take a month off work and come and offer any assistance that they might need. Whatever they wanted to do, I would do it for them. Um, but I never heard back. So I basically continued my life as normal, having not really, not really done anything. And it's interesting that you mentioned um, coaching and neuro-linguistic programming earlier because I then, I was a primary school teacher teaching grade fives and sixes. And I... My background was in psychology because I did want to help children who were struggling and I didn't know whether to go into ed psych, clinical psych, what what exactly did I do? There was just a little bit of a disconnect and then I found coaching, which I found loads more empowering and focused on the positive and forward moving. So I signed up to do this diploma in coaching, life and business coaching. And in the very first day on this coaching course, we had to pair up and coach each other and we were given a script. And instead of me being worried about coaching, I was worried about getting coached. I was like, well, am I going to get coached on? Well, am I going to get coached on? Like, I've sorted all my stuff out. Like, well, am I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to get coached on. And the question that came up was, in what way have you not stepped up in the world yet? And my answer to that, what came up to me, came up for me for that question was, I don't think five emails constitutes doing something. That's how I've still not stepped up in the world. So that night, I went on Jetstar and I booked a flight to Cambodia because I thought if I get up in the morning, I'll have a bunch of logical reasons why this is not a good idea. So do it now, book it, because if you've booked a flight and paid for it, you'll go. So um, that's basically where it began. I got on a plane and I went to Cambodia and I spent a month um, just volunteering, helping out, learning really. Um, it wasn't so much – well, basically when I got there, I went to this particular organization and they had just had an audit and found that they needed a life skills curriculum to be developed and written um, and my background in primary school teaching had meant that I had developed several curriculums. My life skills coaching by the point that I was actually on this plane meant that I had life skills to offer. So it was kind of like a really good fit for them that I could actually spend that month 
doing something that was really useful because that's that's one of the troubles with volunteering is that if you come in for a short period of time it's usually not an, an easy fit into that organization um, but what that meant was in order for me to teach life skills it meant that I needed to spend time with those survivors to find out what level to pitch at because if I just sat down and wrote a curriculum for them it'd be from a very western perspective and would I pitch it to young adults? Would I pitch it to children? Some of these were young adults that only had a level, a grade three or four education. So at what level would you pitch that? So the best way to work work all of that out was to teach them life skills, like literally just think on my feet, teaching them life skills and working out what their gaps were and what their um, levels were and what their learning styles were. And so... When I came away from there, I came away with a list of 63 lessons that I needed to develop for them. And then my plan was to come back, do that, and then send them this curriculum. By the time I had spent three and a half weeks with these girls and young women, I would have done anything for them, anything. They were so strong, like the strongest people I have ever met. And by that point, writing a life skills curriculum just didn't seem like I was doing enough of what I could do for them. So I asked them, I said, I'm going back to Australia soon. I'm going to get 30 people to work with me for an hour a day. What do you want and what do you need? What can we do? And they pondered that question for quite some time. And then their answer was, <laughs> and I look back because this was like 10 years ago now. And I look back and I think, God, Nick, what were you thinking? Like, what did I actually think when I asked that question? I just knew it was right to ask. I weren't really thinking what the answers might be. When mm. I look back, what I know is I must have thought the answers would have been simple. I must have thought <laughs> that they would give me something like, oh, we need new sewing patterns because we've been learning sewing and we're going to set up a sewing business and we need like Western patterns. Oh, yeah, I know nothing about sewing, but I'll find someone who can give me some sewing patterns for you. Like I must have expected it to be easy because their answer was not that they wanted sewing patterns. Their answer was we want to end sex slavery. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, obviously, like that makes, obviously they do, like that makes so much sense, like of course they do. So then, then while I'm like stunned, just standing there going like, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-mm, yeah, then they carried on talking and they said, Nikki, go out into the rural villages, find the girls who aren't in school and get them into school because if they were in school, they wouldn't be trafficked, they would be safe. And I looked around at each of them and they were just shaking their heads. Not one of them had been in school. And it made sense to me that as a primary school teacher, before I teach geography, science, whatever, I make sure the kids are safe when they go home. I'm looking for those signs of why that why is one of them screaming on a Friday if a granddad picks her up. Like you're as a pro, as a professional, sure you're teaching subject matter, but your first priority is those children's safety. So each of these young women that had been trafficked hadn't had that professional looking out for them. So I, I got goosebumps and I nodded, yep, 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 okay, yep. And at that point, I'd never even been to a rural <laughs> village. I was at an aftercare centre in a city. I hadn't oh even been gosh. to a rural village. I'm like, yep, 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 okay, I'll do it. Yep, 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 I'll do it. Um, thinking like, how do I get to a rural village? And I thought, what do I do when I get to the rural village? Like, what do I do? And then I thought, when I'm at that rural village, how do I know which kids are in school and which kids are not in school? And then when I work that out, well, how do I get them in school? Like, I had no idea. I just knew it needed to be done. I knew they were right. And all the international research says the same thing. Like, they were absolutely right. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how. How did you not – because let's face it, for most people, if they'd asked that question and got that answer, like if someone – if I went to, you know, any of the countries where there's so many atrocities going on for women and for, you know, minorities – uh, 
And they said, you know, you know, we need to, you need to end sex slavery. You need to end. My brain has gone completely blank. But some horrific thing that's entrenched and it's been in this, in the culture for endless years. I would feel so overwhelmed. And like you did with the five emails, just think, oh, I'll just, you know, many of us would just think, I'll just send them some sewing patterns. <laughs> How did you not get so overwhelmed and just stop in your tracks? You know, I think because you don't know how hard things are going to be at the time. So I think ignorance is bliss, right? So at that time, I had said to them, I'm going to find 30 people and we're going to do an hour a day to help you. What do you want? I'm like, okay, well, us 30 people, when I find them, us 30 people aren't going to be finding sewing pans and we're going to be ending sex trafficking for an hour a day. Right. Okay. So I went out and I met with every organization that would meet me, every charity, every child protection organization, anything to do with anti-trafficking, child protection, if not anti-trafficking, just social work, any organization doing anything in that area. I met with and, and talked about what this mission I'd been given, whether they whether it already existed, because if me and these 30 people I were going to find were not going to help these particular survivors because they'd already survived and now they wanted, I was going to attach to another organization. At this point, I had no, no plan whatsoever of like starting this, no plan of setting up an organization myself. So really, that's probably how I didn't do overwhelm at that point. I was just going to find the organization that was doing this and I was just going to help them for an hour a day. And I was going to try, I thought one hour a day from one person's not offering them very much. But if I find 30 people and I pull it together, um, then that organization's getting 30 hours of help a day. Like that, that'd have to be a bit useful, wouldn't it? So I'll find that organization. That's when it starts. So I guess it, it got hard bit by bit by bit, not all in one go. Yeah, okay, I okay. couldn't find that organization. That organization didn't exist. So I'm like, that's okay, that's okay. Loads of good organizations exist. I'll just design those, this program in conjunction with them if they want to do it with me, in conjunction with whatever experts do want to do it with me, we'll fundraise for it and we'll provide this funded program to somebody else to do. That's still not not very difficult. Somebody else is doing. Well, of course, that didn't happen either because they're all at full capacity doing what they're doing. So I didn't know that at that time. That, again, information came later. So it's just you just get going with something that you know is important and needs to be done. And you just cross each hurdle as you approach it. I guess you don't have all the hurdles in front of you at the start line. It's, it's like hurdles, isn't it? Like I think back to when I did the hurdles at the, obst- the obstacle race and stuff at school. Yeah, like yeah. That. Yeah. So every hurdle that you came up against. So what happened when you realised that, that cause, because you know, I can imagine that wall when you hit the wall saying, look, I love your idea. It's wonderful. But our program is at full capacity. Our case managers have full caseloads. We don't have one hour and we don't have any space to get someone to implement this program that you're wanting to create anyway. What happened then? (laughs) Um, I just thought, okay, well, I haven't spoken to every organization yet, have I? Like, of course it exists somewhere. Like, just keep looking, meeting, talking, asking. Like, I'll find it. And I did. I did. Like I came home and I found a small group of people to work with me and we got really clear on what was our mission and what wasn't it. What were we going to do? But what weren't we going to do? Because if we got busy doing a whole holistic amount of things around it, we wouldn't actually be very effective at getting that done. We'd be really effective for 100 kids over here, but that's not going to stop somebody else over there. So how did we literally just stick to ending sex trafficking um so we did a lot of research we continued asking a lot of organizations and we did in the end it took about two it took about 18 months we did find two organizations that we could partner with and we chose two very different organizations one was a school one was a child protection organization they were in completely different geographic areas and we developed the program sort of in conjunction with their expertise so what would work for this organization here and what would work for this organization there because I kind of felt like if we could create a program that would work in two really different regions um some that work 
were old Khmer Rouge and so some of the dads and uncles were old Khmer Rouge soldiers and one that was a little bit further out of it. Like if I could develop a program that would work geographically across the country, then that was the most likely to be useful because then we could replicate it elsewhere. And so we got started there. It was nice and easy until it wasn't and it didn't work. And we had to start uh-huh. again. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Can we backtrack yeah. for one moment? Yeah. I have read, I have a very bare minimum awareness of Cambodia's history and of the issue of sex slavery in that country and in that culture. So for people who are listening who may have as bare minimum as me or less, can you just give us a bit of a background as to how sex slavery became a thing in the Cambodian culture or you know, even just your, if, you know, whatever knowledge you have and, and how it, it has continued to be maintained, I guess, throughout yeah. In, into 2020 when we would, you know, living when you live in, I live in a uh, cafe town yeah. in Melbourne and, and there's, there's no sex slavery near me in my eye shot. So it seems so, how in 2020 is this still happening for a lot of people, yeah. but it is still happening. Could you just give us a bit of a, just a bit of a yeah. bare bones background? So people who want to learn more about it could look at the TIP report. So that's the Trafficking in Persons report, which is released every year and it analyzes every country and it talks about whether each country is a source country, meaning they take women and children, um, whether it's a transit country. So they're moving them from one country to another because that's very effective. If you can get them out of their country, then if they if they were to escape, they're going to not know the country, not know the language, not know how to ask for help. So trans- transitioning people across countries is is a method um, and whether it's a destination country where where they've been taken to and um, and then it also assesses each country so like you've just mentioned Melbourne for example of course it does happen here um, but we're rated as a tier one country the green color um, and tier one is that it does happen a little bit And we do need good laws in place and we do need strategy and action. But all of that strategy and action that has been determined is occurring. As a country, we're deemed to be doing a sufficient amount to prevent and stop it. And then other countries are tier two, orange, um, tier two watch list and tier three. And tier three are very often the war zones, which are incredibly difficult to get into so your tier two and your tier two watch list means that it's either increasing or there is not enough being done to prosecute the perpetrators um so cambodia for example has good laws but those good laws are not enforced so to go back to how it began with Cambodia. So it's a massive, massive kind of topic. So just give give a summary, but people who are interested really Mm. should look beyond what what I'm saying. Um, I I don't feel qualified to give a really good history lesson. But Mm. the Khmer Rouge, so when the states and other countries were bombing Vietnam, they dropped loads and loads of bombs on Cambodia to prevent people getting out through Cambodia and also just on the way to Vietnam. And so it was massively bombed. Um, lots and lots of landmines. There are still lots and lots of landmines. And because of the because of that period of time, there was a lot of instability in Cambodia. And that led to the uprising of the Khmer Rouge. Like that created the conditions for the Khmer Rouge to emerge. And when that emerged, um, basically, um, it was under Pol Pot and anybody with an education was rounded up out of their house and taken to, they converted a school into a prison and anybody with an education was taken to these new jails. And there's something called the Killing Fields that you can go and visit in Phnom Penh where where they they killed all the educated people and then they put everybody else into agriculture, farming. Um, And 
in in a four year period, they killed a quarter of the population. And so at the end of that four year period, anybody who was left had been through massive trauma. They had maybe witnessed their parents be murdered or their siblings be murdered. And they would witness it in a really brutal way in front of them. Um, They may have been tortured. They may have been raped. They may have been forced into a marriage. So the soldiers came through villages, rounded up all the young women and young men and paired them up and then stood outside their house, making them consummate the marriage and, and things. So there was a lot of problems and there was no support in the aftermath of that to help them heal. Not that I know how you would heal from that, but there was no support really in the immediate aftermath of that. And there was masses amount of poverty and there's still immense poverty. And I, I think that's where this comes from because it comes from both things, war and poverty, because when you are desperate enough, when you are living in conditions where you can't afford to feed your children, you can't afford for them to go to school, you become quite vulnerable, you become quite easy for somebody else to come along and exploit. And that's that's really how it happens in, in such a rife way. Wow. Like just listening to what you're saying, like when you combine, like combining war and the trauma that follows war and un, unsupported, unhealed, like impossible, as you say, it's impossible to, to heal trauma with desperate poverty. Like it is like the perfect yeah. setting, the perfect. Yeah environment to grow this type of really yeah ugly business i yeah. guess of it is slavery. a business yeah yeah oh wow wow yes so so you we just i just wanted to get let you just update us on that because mm-hmm. i think for me i needed I've I've I bought the book The Killing Fields, a book called The Killing yeah, Fields, yeah. from an airport yeah. years and years ago, and it is still on my bookshelf. And I've flipped through it, yeah. but I haven't read it. Yeah. And so I've known, and I've met had a, I've met some Cambodian expats. Is that the right word? Yeah. They live here now. Yeah. And they've given me little bits of little pieces of information, and you know you hear bits and pieces, but I've never heard it said like that. Yeah. And um, you know, one of my friends was doing some landmine detection stuff in his honors thesis, so I knew a little bit about the landmines being everywhere, still, but just very vague, fringe kind of information. And so it was really valuable for me to hear that than to to give me cl- more clarity and perspective yeah. about the work that you're doing and yeah. how sex trafficking became such yeah. a a thing. Yeah. Two other things that I can recommend people go to is on Netflix there's the beautiful movie First They Killed My Father and it's beautifully shot. That gives a good eye that gives like if you need the visual aside of the book that's a movie to watch. And then John Pilger's documentaries are great. He's done several, Ground Zero, and then Year One after Ground Zero, Year Five, Year Ten, and he tracks. So that's that's a really good resource as well. Oh, wow. So John Pilger's. John Pilger. Yeah. Okay, Ground Zero. I definitely will be looking at them. Okay, so... Now you've been working doing this for 10 10 years. Ten years, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so how has it changed from that moment when you reached the, you know, the next hurdles about, you know, like that that you said that the – you were working with the schools and the child protection agencies across the country doing trying to see if it could work in those two places and then realising that it couldn't work. What did you do then once you realised that that wasn't going to work? So that wasn't going to be sustainable. We had 72 children across two locations under that program. And they appeared to be good at doing actual family visits and working with the families. But there was no real accountability and case notes. And if you're going to do effective social work, you've got to have the case notes to refer back to and to be able to refer the child to all the services 
if and when in the few examples that other services actually exist. So even down to the case notes, the progress reports, I was having to do all the written work. None of the staff were doing anything else. And I thought, this isn't sustainable. Like I could spend my life doing the case notes and things for 72, but never are we going to be able to scale beyond 72. And we have not successfully ended sex trafficking. If we stop at 72, so this model is not going to work. So I gave them all the support um, and encouragement and skill, but it wasn't their way. It wasn't going to happen. So I figured, so if I'm being told that doing case notes is not their way, how am I going to do it? And I thought, well, if they were my staff, then their salary would depend on it, right? So we just try that. I will try running the program myself. I'll employ staff and writing the case notes would simply be a part of their job. It's non-negotiable. Don't take the job if you don't want to do case notes and you don't get paid if you don't do them. So the it basically developed into that. So I hired two education officers and it, it began working really well. So I, I hired two more and then three more and we grew from two to four to seven to 11 to 16, 18. Um, and it was a massive learning curve because then we had to work out ourselves. How do we, how, like, obviously by that point I knew how to get to a rural village, but how do you identify which rural village might be, most likely to be targeted by traffickers. So we had to have a lot of conversations with commune leaders, village leaders. We had to work out, um, you know, that it would be villages where other organisations weren't working so much. We had these little motorbikes, so we'd go out in a radius of about um, a 90-minute drive out of Siem Reap. So we work, we have like a little office in the city and we go out 90 minutes on the motos in each direction. Um, and so now, 10 years on, we work in 59 different rural villages. And we work <laughs> with 758 girls and their families. 758 Yeah, girls. and their families, yeah. Wow. So that is a lot. Mm. Change from 72 mm. children to 758 <laughs> and 59 villages, yeah. which is so incredible that you're able to do that now and to do that, to do that work for so many, touch so many lives. You know, that's almost a thousand lives that you're positively impacting. And so what does the work look like now for those girls? Good question. So we've we're basically working to achieve three main goals and those three goals are safe communities for children educated girls and women in leadership so under safe communities we primarily do three things so these children have got to be able to grow up in communities that are safe we don't want them to become reliant upon free to shine we want an exit plan where if we're going to actually solve this, then the solution's got to lie with them so that we can leave and, and it's done. Because if we're always needed, then it's not really solved. So we need the communities to be safe. So to make to ensure the girls' safety, we do family visits um, on a very regular basis every single month. And that means that we're working to address complex factors such as poverty and hunger illness, unemployment, migration, addiction, violence, family breakdown, debt. And then on top of that, we also do social work interventions with children and families who are in crisis and need additional support beyond family visits by education officers. So we also have a team of social workers that work those more intense cases. And then the other thing that we do, because that's very much family-based work, the other thing we do to create safe communities is we facilitate community trainings where we bring the community together and we talk about basic human rights. We talk and teach them how to protect themselves against exploitation and abuse because it takes a village to raise a child they need to know the signs they need to know what to look for and they need to know what to do when they see the signs not just look the other way because the Khmer Rouge taught them head down don't look don't speak so it's about confronting these issues within families when you see them so sorry to interrupt you but can I ask like one of the th one of the things when 
I, because my background was in social work as well. Ah. One, child I protection. Didn't, I, I know. Didn't I'm listening know to you, that. being like, "Ooh." <laughs> <laughs> so I worked for the DHS in Victoria. Right. In uh, when Iggy was about, you know, that was my background before this stuff I do now. But um, I, I'm very passionate about the area. And one of the things that I find hard is sometimes with those people, like when you're talking about hunger, violence, poverty, systemic violence and poverty. And when you're talking about those things, once I had, once I had Iggy and I had been writing all these letters to parents saying, you know, engage with your maternal and child health nurse, go to this thing, do anger management classes. And then I had my son and I had no systemic poverty. I'd had, you know, I'd been broke as a student, but only as broke as a student, you know. Yeah. And I'd had no, I'd had depression, but no long-term mental health problems. And I had a supportive partner and I had community around me. Yeah. All I could think about was, oh my gosh, I'm asking these people with no driver's yeah. license, with not with mental health problems, with drug addiction, with all these the abusive partner, gambling huge amounts of debt. No it dropped out at school, it dropped out at school at a certain no education. I'm asking them to get to an MCHN appointment, but they have to catch four buses to get there. They have to do all these things. I can't get there as a new parent because I'm just tired from just tired from being a new parent. How am I going to get these people and how can I be angry at these people when they have all this shit to wade through and the MSH, the end, maternal and child health nurse appointment is at the bottom of the pile of just surviving the day. So how do you get, I'm fascinated to hear how you get those people to come to these talks when they've pushing so much shit uphill (laughs) yeah that's a really really good question because we're not judging and because we come from a place of understanding and critically important is the education officers and social workers are young Cambodian professionals so this is not foreign social work. So I have a team of foreign social workers and psychologists, but we work behind the scenes in upskilling the staff to do it. So the staff are going out every month, sitting, working with them, having these conversations, but they, they get it. They grew up with their mom drinking. They grew up with their dad also hitting them. So they're, they're not judging. They're just sharing ideas as a team of young people engaging in the conversations, okay, it's happening, let's talk about it. I'm not saying that I have the answers, but let's talk about it and let's like have a look at some ideas and what might work. This worked for my mum and oh, I've brought my colleague today and this worked for, for her and we've been talking in the office and this worked for this one. And so here's a, a bunch of ideas and it's very much done with them. I think our Western way, this is one of the lessons I've learned, our Western way, we want to skip from A to B as quickly as we can. Whereas in Cambodia, it's step by step by step by step. Don't skip from here to here without taking the seven little steps in between because it's the stride where you lose them. If you do the steps at their pace, you don't lose them. I love that saying, it's the stride where you lose them. I think that's really, really powerful because because it is, and I am, I am, so guilty of thinking that people need to be where I'm at now when they haven't, you know, they haven't done a, the hundred thousand steps that took me to get there. And I think many of us are, and especially when we're, you know, social workers or teachers or people, when you just, you just assume that someone can just go from here when they haven't even learned their ABC, you know, they haven't got the bare minimum to get to where you are. And when yeah. you say, oh, just, you know, just do this, they're just like looking at you thinking, I, I'm just overwhelmed now. Yeah. You just told me to do this big, brave, brazen thing that is a thousand steps in front of me compared yeah. to where you're at. Yeah. So I love that. And the Cambodian culture doesn't tell them what to do. We talk about it and we say, like, what do you think are the effects of you drinking? What do you think might be some of the effects on your health? And they tell us the answers. How do you think it might be affecting your children? They tell us the answer. Would you like to drink less? Yes. How could you do it? These are some ways. So it's coming from them. We're just guiding them along their path and walking it with them. Now, I know we haven't got much time, but you have, you're doing such amazing work, as I've said. And everyone, I've written, put the link in the show notes for you to go and check out Free to Shine. But 
I was inspired to, to reach touch base with you because you've written a book <laughs> and I want everyone to buy your book. I know it's yes. targeted at, biz, as, at businesses, but I think it, I can't, I haven't read it. I'm going to read it and I can't wait to read it because yeah. I just think it's such an incredible story and I'm so happy that you're sharing it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. My book is called Do What Matters and it's basically a call to action to do more with the life that we so often take for granted. So Going back to that coaching question, in what ways have you not stepped up in the world? It is for people who are ready to step up and whether that's ready to step up in life or ready to step up in your leadership, in your business. And it's about working out and doing, not just working out and then sitting on it, but doing what matters most to you doing what matters most to you in your business, doing what matters most to you with your family and doing what matters most in the world. Yes, that's. I think that is such a valuable, especially in this day and age of existence when we can be so overwhelmed by, because you know, this is the first time in history that we've had access to all the world's problems in one scroll through social media in the morning and it can feel so debilitating that we just, pull up covers up over our head and forget about the elephant in the room and ignore it. But if there's something that matters, you know, this book, I be- I feel like, is kind of the antidote to that despair yes. where you're like, exactly. That I just choose the thing exact- that matters to me. That's why I chose it. That's why I chose to write it. So the reason I wrote it is because when I began Free to Shine, like um, close to 10 years ago, um, our initial supporters were either sponsoring an individual girl or doing fundraising events, etc. And at the end of year one, we wrote to each of them and we said, thank you. Like, thank you for supporting them. Thank you for making this happen. And we got back letters saying, no, 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 we haven't done anything. Thank you. <laughs> like, knowing this has changed my life. It's impacted the way I parent my daughter. It's impacted this. Like, thank you. And I never realized how much other people were getting out of it. And also when I began, it was very much about people here providing safety and education for girls over there in order to keep them safe, provide the education that keeps them safe. But what I realized were the things that you're talking about that there's so much here that we have not got right. So much. We're so developed in some ways, but there is so much. Obviously, they've got some things that they have not got right. Sex trafficking is still occurring. There's there's definitely things they haven't got right, but there's things we haven't got right. And some of the things we have got right, they have got right. So I was like, wow, there's so much we could actually learn from them. If we think it's just about us over here providing education for them, I think we're missing at least half the story. How do I bottle the way they approach life, the way they think, and bring it back to people here to learn and benefit from? And so that's what this is. It's a series of lessons I've learned over the last decade. And while I won't go into what what the actual lessons are, they Because you have to read the book. Yeah. (laughs) You have to read the book. You do. They come under four themes and one is strength and it's something that I come up with a lot here where people say, I don't think I could do that. Gosh, I don't know how you do that. I couldn't do it. And I realized that here we don't know our strength. And so the first series of lessons are around strength and how you develop strength, build your strength and just notice your strength and trust that strength and and harness it. Um, The next series of lessons are around perspective because I used to overthink stuff, overanalyze stuff. I used to drive people crazy to the point that one time my mum actually, like going over this particular decision I had to make for the nth time, and she was like, oh, just make the decision already. And I'm like, (laughs) what about this? What about this? What about that? And she was like, Nick, you're driving me crazy. And then she looked at me and she goes, don't you drive yourself crazy? And I was like, yeah, I do a bit, I do. And what I found now is decisions are easy to make because I have this completely different perspective. So 
the second series of lessons are around perspective and how that can help us. And, and then the third and fourth parts are around joy and community because people think that my life must be really hard now that I'm fighting sex traffickers and gangsters and, and gamblers. And, and there's, that is a part of what, what we do. But actually, I work with some of the most incredible people on the planet. And I, I somehow, I don't know exactly how, but I somehow have more joy in my life now than I did before I started doing this. And a lot of that joy is that I've learned from them in the way they approach situations like it's they they flip it around we're almost like joyful when we have something to be joyful about and it's their default position and if they have to leave joy for a moment to deal with this serious situation they spring back to joy when it's done so we can learn so much about being more joyful and then the other is community even though these communities are struggling and there are these issues in these communities and poverty there's actually a, a heck of a lot of strength and resilience in these communities and we're disconnected from community so it's what i've learned about community as well oh my gosh look i love i'm i'm a wet golden retriever as a person so <laughs> i'm always overly excited <laughs> about everything but but i love this and one reason why i really love this is when you hear stories throughout history of you know white missionaries going places and in our helping helping the indigenous by taking the children away and helping the helping over in Rwanda by just spreading God and taking them away from their culture and making it a Western culture, civilizing, going around and civilizing people with Western values. I love that you are actually listening to them and seeing because there are, there are so many things we can learn and there are things we do well but there are things we suck at that other places do well at and if we work together and really notice the beauty in each other and take see the value in the other culture I love this because I do think that it's just so important that we see the strengths in other cultures and how we can learn from them rather than just thinking we're going to shove all of our stuff on you. You have to learn our language, our diet, our way of praying and the gods we pray to and then you'll be fixed. (laughs) Exactly, like the intention is good but it's so arrogant really. Yes, it's obnoxious. So I love this because there is, you know, every country I've ever visited I've taken so much away from. You know, when you go to India and you're you're thinking there's no – real road rage or well, I'm generalizing I'm sure that there's people who have road rage but the traffic's yeah. bananas there's cows there's trucks there's no one in the right lane it's crazy and you're like but they're all working together yeah. and it's like one fluid organism on that road where there is no me I have to, my job's more important than your cow <laughs> yeah. there's just all of us working together and I think that there's so much we can learn when we actually stop and witness and watch and observe observe so i'm so excited to read your book nikki and i love the work that you're doing and i know everyone listening will love the work that you're doing as much as me so where can they find you and follow you and buy your book and all the things yeah cool so the book has they can go to dowhatmatters.com.au or they can go to freetoshine.org and there's a page for the book there so it's freetoshine.org forward slash do what matters they're they're the two best ways to get the book yeah they'll be in the show notes everyone if you've missed it in this interview click on the show notes and the links will all be in there brilliant um can also follow free to shine on facebook and can um interact with me on linkedin Oh, my gosh. So all of that's in the show notes, so don't feel like you've missed it. Just click on the show notes and you can read all about Free to Shine. You can get your copy of Do What Matters, which I cannot wait to read. Your work is just so – it just touches my heart so much. I feel so honoured that you're here and I'm so grateful that we met. It just felt – I've been talking about this conversation for three years with everyone who I meet. Do you know who's inspirational? Nikki. (laughs) And I tell your story because it just touches my heart as someone who really wants to 
spend my life doing what matters. When I met you, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is it. This is doing what matters this is what it looks like. So I'm so glad that you're out there doing this work. And so I cannot believe you're helping now 758 girls and families, you know, end sex trafficking. That really is ending sex trafficking, you know, for those families. I know, I know that there's probably a lot of work to still go, but absolutely, an incredible start. Yeah, we've got, we've got girls who have gone up through, like they were going to be dropping out of primary school and they've now done secondary school up to grade nine then they've done high school up to grade 12 and then they've gone on to vocational training or got good employment we've got 20 in university studying law or management and we've got two who sat our interviews and were the best candidates for the job and so are now education officers. So they now have a caseload of girls that they go out and support. So it's come like completely full circle. Full circle. Yeah. That is incredible. I'm so glad to hear that there are girls now who are thriving, who without, who you never know what may have happened for them, but I'm guessing without your support and the work that you're doing, that they could have had a drastically different okay. life, life, <laughs> life. So I'm so, so, so happy that you're doing what you're doing and thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Is there anything else I've missed that you need to share before you hang up? Yes. So you were talking about um, missionaries going overseas and changing people's religion and I've seen so much in these 10 years of people going over with good intentions, but good intentions aren't enough. Those good intentions cause a lot of damage to people who deserve better. They're already struggling in an immense amount. They deserve best practice and they're not getting it. And one of the things that I did at the very, very beginning was picture 15 years of doing this. And I wanted to figure out how can I get, if this is even possible, how can I get 15 years down the line and then when I turn around and I look back at the path, I don't see that I've trampled on things. I haven't made all this better over here, but I've made this, this and this worse by doing these things. And so that's one of the things that I've worked really hard to, to not make things worse as I make things better. And it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book to show what I have done and got wrong, what people have done with me and got wrong and what other people are doing and getting wrong so that we can learn <laughs> from that and not trample as much. Okay. I love that. I think it's so, it's so valuable to think of that because I think we don't and even myself so often, I think like what you were saying about the strides, I take that big stride. Thinking yeah. Everyone's going to come. Like, everyone's with me where they need to go to the stride we have to take, but no one's with you. Look around and you're all alone. <laughs> yeah. So it's a great, great message, I think, in the book to talk about those things and talk about the mistakes and talk about the errors because we, we do think, we take for granted that our best intentions are the right path for all when they're just not. Yeah. Yeah, and we have so much to learn before we help. So, mm. Yeah. Thank you. Now, everyone, I know that that's at the end and you're like, why is this tacked on? But I, we were talking after the show and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is good. I want to keep recording. So I made Nikki say it again. So thank you all for listening. Thank you so much, Nikki. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Nikki. I absolutely loved this chat with you. I took so much from it. And you've motivated me again to continue writing my book. Now I know it's taken you three years to write Do What Matters. I'll feel <laughs> even though it's been three years since, nearly three years since I decided to write this book and now I am 128 episodes in with no book yet to show for it. I am so inspired by the work that you're doing, Nikki, and I'm so grateful that you came on the show to share your work with us all. I hope that everyone listening was inspired to do what matters to them in their own way, in their own 
context however they can. Please, everyone, go out and buy Nikki's book, Do What Matters. You can buy it at dowhatmatters.com.au. You can buy it at freetoshine.org forward slash do what matters. All the links will be in the show notes. Gift the cop, gift copies to your family and friends because everyone wants to do what matters. It's just that we all sometimes can feel really overwhelmed and exhausted by everything that it can feel impossible to be doing anything other than just surviving. But this book can help inspire all of us to, even if it's to small steps, to take small steps in our life to do what matters to us. And in return, that helps the people around us, the animals, the planet, in all our own unique individual, perfectly imperfect ways. There is no perfect way to do anything. And Nikki has shown that in this episode. You know, we all, we're all going to hit walls. All we can do is ask people who've walked the paths before us doing the things we would like to do or we're striving to do and try and avoid pitfalls, but there'll always be pitfalls to fall into. It's just about how we dust ourselves off and get back up and look for the next solution to the problem. Also check out Free to Shine on Facebook and follow Nikki on LinkedIn. All that will be in, is in the show notes as well. Uh, thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. New, new episodes come out every Monday slash Tuesday Australia time, so Sunday slash Monday everywhere else in the Northern Hemisphere. And please share this episode with your family and friends. I know that Nikki's story is going to inspire so many and I can't wait for you all to read her book and to hear your feedback. So comment in the show notes and say thank you to Nikki for saving all this 758 girls and families that they're working with now in Cambodia and doing 59 different villages, which is so incredible. So if you want to give Nikki a little random act of kindness and just write in the show notes, hey, Nikki, you are awesome, I'm sure she would get a real kick out of that. Not that she needs any, any, you know, doesn't, she doesn't, doesn't need it because she's going to keep doing this work. But I mean, it's always nice to tell someone who's doing incredible work that they are doing incredible work. So if you have two minutes to thank Nikki for her work or inquire about her work or go and ask about how you can support her work more, I'm sure she would be thrilled to hear from you. Or if you've read her book or you've bought her book, I'm sure she'd be thrilled to hear that you've bought her book. Any messages, you know, they always make everyone feel better. It just takes two seconds of your time to tell someone that what they're doing to help do what matters for them means something to you as well and that you appreciate it. So if you could take the time to do that on the show notes or on the comments to this post, I'm absolutely sure that in tagging Nikki in your comment, I'm sure that she would be thrilled or free to shine in your comment. I'm sure that they would be thrilled to hear it or going over to free to shine and leaving a nice message over there. I am sure that every message makes it feel a little lighter doing such a such a very invaluable, important role such as supporting the ending of sex slavery in Cambodia. So thank you all for listening and if you have any inspirational people that you think I should have on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I will see you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road. Riding with you in the sunnier 